Welcome in to the Eyes on Texas multicast, coming to you live from the capital city of the great state of Texas, overlooking downtown Austin and the University of Texas, the 40 acres in our view. Welcome to the weekly broadcast that understands the pride and tradition of the Texas football program will never be entrusted to the timid or the weak. This is why it's called the Eyes on Texas multicast. Our eyes are on the Longhorns on a daily basis, a weekly basis. We're a product of the Republic of Football. On the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, we are presented by our presenting partner, Grande Equipment. Couldn't do it without them and certainly our other four founding partners who help us put this podcast together each and every week and bring us the content that you enjoy on a daily and weekly basis. I'm Aaron Hogan, morning show host at The Horn here in Austin, Texas. Been doing uh, morning show radio here in Austin for 25 years. Covered a lot of Longhorn programs, so it's fun to you know, document it, talk about it on a daily, on a daily and weekly basis. He, my co-host, is a senior writer at the Dave Campbell's Football Magazine, online and hard print. He's working hard for your money. He is our man, Mike Craven. Mike, you were at the game, Houston and Texas. You took in the uh, 40,000 folks, and uh, we're looking forward to talking about it. How was the how was the game? How was the third ward? It was a lot of fun. You know, I've never seen that stadium uh, be buzzing like that. It was loud. The students were there early. As they were getting through security, they were running to their seats. There was a ton of people outside of the stadium. And, and I think for Houston fans, it kind of felt like a, a sigh of relief and how football is supposed to be, you know, they're still kind of getting left or getting over being left out of the big 12 when, when the Southwest conference dissolved. And so for at least a day, uh, they got to be kind of back in the limelight back in, in major college football. And, and for them, uh, they feel like they're a sleeping giant about to come alive there in a couple of years for Texas, you know, they survived. And, and we kind of talked all off season about, you know, Texas being capable of, of one of these games. I, I think there's two ways to look at it. We can look at it glass half full and that they were able to to win a game that maybe in a couple of years past, maybe in the recent past, they would have lost. Uh, but on the downside, you know, they're up 21 nothing, and they ended up in a dogfight for 60 minutes and lost their quarterback. So a lot to unpack uh, after that game. Gosh, I think that's exactly the way I would put it. A lot to unpack, and we'll do so over our four quarters of conversation. And I will tell you that our first quarter is going to be about the game. We're going to talk about the game itself. The 31-24 win for Texas. Open up 21 nothing. Look like the blowout is on. Next thing you know, Longhorns are going to tie game in the third quarter. Uh, Quinn Ewers gets hurt. Then it's a dogfight. So it turned into, as Mike said, one of those trap games on the road. It didn't look like it for the first 20 minutes of football. But we will talk about it from that angle, the game itself. Then in our second quarter, we're going to talk about the injuries, including obviously the biggest story of the day and the week. The injury to Longhorn quarterback Quinn Ewers came in the fourth quarter. Um, I think it actually happened on a – we all saw – Quinn take the hard hit where he's trying to run for a first down and got clobbered by the linebacker. Your quarterback should never, you know, unless you're Josh Allen or Jim Kelly back in the day, I don't know. Uh, taking on linebackers, never a good idea uh, for a player that doesn't get hit that often. They wear the, the green beanies, Mike, for a reason. You don't want to be taking hits. <laughs> they protect them. Uh, all of a sudden, this guy's lowering his shoulder. But apparently the injury happened a couple of plays later on a first down sack uh, where the uh, where Jatavion Sanders got beat um, and on a block and you know took him to the ground and kind of rolled up on his shoulder. It's being called a grade two AC joint sprain. We'll hear Sark talking about the injury. We'll talk about that injury and the injuries all over the place right now, mostly in the secondary the Longhorns are dealing with. So our second quarter, we focus on the injuries. We'll also have our halftime segment to focus on the Longhorns in the NFL. Uh, had some big time burn orange performances on Sunday in the National Football League. Our third quarter will be focused on moving forward with backup quarterbacks. It looked like for at least a little while. Also uh, getting ready for BYU, how to improve on the things that obviously have been exposed over the last two ball games against Oklahoma and against the Houston Cougars. But 
Um, we'll focus on the game. And then we'll start big picture. Longwood are sitting at number seven in the country. They're six and one. They're right where they want to be, but they've got to get better. Our fourth quarter always is our final four questions. Uh, we'll get to that coming up as well. I want to tell you the multicast that keeps you on top of all things Texas football. Uh, we call it the multicast because it's available to watch weekly as we record an episode every Monday and then drop it on Tuesday. That's available at uh, the Dave Campbell's Texas Football YouTube channel. Also the Horn FM in Austin. It's right there on the YouTube channel as well. Just search the Horn Austin. You can also find it on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to listen to the broadcast, also follow us on Twitter at Eyes on Texas FB. On Instagram at Eyes on Texas Pod, and now on Facebook we're live at Eyes on Texas Podcast. And if you can see, we are not in our luxurious penthouse fourth floor studios in West Austin today, Mike. We're on Zoom today. We're doing some uh, renovations at the radio station that I work at, the Horn. So we've been shoved out of our normal broadcast location. For, so we're going live on Zoom. But we will have all the highlights. We will have all, not highlights, but the SART cuts and audio. And you can see that. Uh, speaking of being in Houston, you see my my picture of the Astrodome behind me kind of an old school black and white Astrodome back in the day, grew up going there. So I know Houston very well. And uh, it's, that's my ode to, to U of H. And uh, my, one of my first loves, my first love ever with Mike was the Houston Astros. Uh, Cause I kind of got there in the, I moved to Houston in 1980. And so okay. the Astros were in the playoffs and Nolan Ryan was there and I fell in love with baseball. I was a big baseball fan anyway. And the love you blue era had just ended. And the Houston Oilers got pretty bad real fast. Uh, but most of my first loves were Houston Astros baseball, Ghost Rose tonight in the uh, Game 7 of the World Series, and um, the Five Slamma Jamma Houston Cougars were one of the first teams I really, as a, as a you know 12-year-old kid, just fully embraced and got on board. So broke my heart a couple of times with Akeem the Dream and Clyde the Glide and those guys. But uh, So those are my Houston roots you're seeing behind me uh, with the Astrodome. But uh, ready to talk some football, and we want to thank uh, our friends at Grande Equipment. Throughout the night, you'll hear my thoughts on telling you about Grande and, and the other partners that we have. Let me tell you about our presenting partner, uh, Grande Equipment, who has been on board with this thing from the jump, West Murray and the team. Grande Equipment, our friend and partner, Wes Murray, his team, they understand your reputation is all you have when it comes to a project of any kind, large or small. All that matters is getting it done, getting it done on time. That's why Grande partners with you on every project you have. You know, just earning your business is the beginning of the relationship at Grande. They're going to get you to the finish line, get that project on budget and done. They've operated that way for 31 years. They're not in the equipment business. They're in the relationship business. You need the right piece of equipment for that project, large or small. From anything from major construction of a building to freeways down to uh, to something at the deer lease or land, and you need a heavy piece of equipment, they're going to get it to you. Be there ready and job site ready without hassles or uncertainty, and uh, they are the best. I promise you, they're a small, independent company based right here in Central Texas, but they play in the big leagues in a big way. It's Grande Equipment, your international, independent dealer. Find them at grandeequipment.com. They present the Eyes on Texas multicast. All right, thank you to Grande. Appreciate them so very much. Find them online at grandeequipment.com. Our other presenting partners that you'll hear from throughout tonight, Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy, our friends at Hay City Store in Driftwood, One Source Gas of Central Texas, and Dr. Greg Eckert, my dentist, and this beautiful smile now. He restored my teeth just uh, weeks ago. He can do it for you, too, and his Brain Vault technology. We'll highlight all of those things tonight, uh, but thank you to Grande Equipment. All right, Mike, let's get dive into our first quarter. It's going to be brought to you by Brain Vault, the Brain Vault technology, more than just a mouthpiece. It is uh, allowing your, your young athlete to play hard, but play safe and reduce the risk of concussions. It's research-based and absolutely uh, a must-have for every youngster, uh, male or female, in a contact sport. We'll tell you about that coming up. But my first quarter is about the game. Uh, 31-24, Texas wins it. You were in the building to see it unfold. You know, the way I kind of look at it is the first 20 minutes, Texas dominated the game, kicked, and really did whatever they wanted to do. 
middle 20 minutes of a 60-minute game. Houston punched back. Um, Steve Sarkeesian went for a fake field goal. He probably shouldn't have. And Houston got right back in the game. They used the two-minute drill at the end of the half and came out in the second half and got back in the game, tied the game at 21. Uh, and then the game was on. And I thought uh, the final 20 minutes, Texas actually got their bearings and found a way to win this game with big defensive turnovers, big defensive stops. And then, you know, even with a backup quarterback, we were able to go get the game-winning touchdown. There was some favorable officiating for Texas, I think, in this game. But in the end, uh, unlike previous years, they survived a game on the road that I think previously they would have lost would be my bumper sticker version of this game. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty dead on. It, it was kind of an odd thing to watch from the press box, you know, because – you know, they lose to Oklahoma, they have their bye week, and you wonder if they're going to come out slow and kind of lethargic and maybe looking past Houston or not taking this as seriously or, or, or you know, whatever, having some some residue from that from that last game and, and being a little bit of rusty. And they come out, yours was 19 of 20 to start the game. They're able to run the football. The defense looks really good. The defensive line is dominating the Houston offensive line. You look up, it's 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, and you're almost ready to start writing your story. You know, like you, it feels done. Like Houston's going to go away. Uh, but Houston's credit, you know, they kept fighting back. We saw that with the Hail Mary against West Virginia. That's a plucky team. And this game matters. You know, we've, we've talked about kind of this Texas farewell tour through the Big 12. You know, they're playing Houston at Houston for maybe the, the first and only time you know, this century, I can't remember when was Bleacher Gate earlier in the in the twenty twenty one. Yeah, so like you know, uh, you know, not not very often is Texas on Houston campus, and they know that they're not going to get them there again once they join the SEC. And so, um, you know, they fought back. They they found, I think, to me, the big storyline outside of the Ewers injury was the Texas secondary and just kind of what Houston was able to do uh, to them. I think at one point through the second and third quarter, they called eighteen straight pass plays. Not every single one was a pass play because a couple of times Donovan Smith was flushed. One time he was sacked. And so those count as runs, but they called 18 or 19 straight pass plays against this Texas defense. And so Houston found what was working. Uh, they punched back against them, got some success through the air. Uh, you know, Ewers and the offense came back to the ground a little bit after that fast start. You're not going to score on every single possession. So that's understandable. And then all of a sudden turned into a dogfight where, you know, I was on the field for that third down or whatever that, that uh, spot that they didn't get the first down for. And so I didn't see the replay until later uh, to see that that was such kind of a weird call that was going to end up being controversial. So uh, just a wild scene. Everybody was pretty excited. It was cool that it was a 60 minute football game, but if you're a Texas fan, a Texas supporter, probably even a Texas player and coach, uh, you would have hoped that you would have had the killer instinct to finish off that game because you were, you were a drive or two away from, from ending it. And instead it turned into, you know, four full four quarter football game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what we saw. It's amazing to me. I don't know that I've seen a game turn so quickly, Mike, where 21 points on the board, three straight drives into touchdowns. There's a point midway through the second quarter, early on, maybe halfway through midway through the second quarter. Texas had three trips to the end zone, and Houston had two first down. Yeah. Uh, they were dominating the game. Houston couldn't even move the chains. And then there was the point, about eight-minute mark of the, of the second quarter, where Houston, as you said, the 21 straight passes, I think they finally realized that Jade Barron wasn't on the field. He was in a boot on the sidelines. Uh, uh, Jalen Catalan wasn't playing. And Ryan Watts wasn't on the field. And all of a sudden said, what are we doing? We're trying to beat our heads against the Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy wall. And we're, you know, Donovan Smith is throwing off his back foot all the time. Let's just get the ball out and, uh, you know, take on these, these, this secondary. And it really started to work. So give Houston credit. Dana Holgerson made the right decisions, I think to start using Donovan Smith, not, you know, trying to drop back and 
fine, guys. Just get it out of his hand. Just just move it out to, you know, Matthew Golden. And, uh, you know, that got them going on that first drive. They got it to 21-7. And then Texas, you know, had a long kickoff return from Keelan Robinson, got it back out to the 45-yard line. They were moving the ball. And then that drive stalled with about under two minutes, under three minutes to go in the first half. And this is where I think Steve Sarkeesian, he even admitted after the game it was a mistake. Uh, he went for a fake field goal instead of kicking it, going up 24-7. to Obviously, there's no guarantee Burt Auburn makes the field goal, but he didn't. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Mike, because you were in the building and saw it. Felt to me watching the broadcast that although the crowd was there early and was excited to, 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 to root for their Cougs, uh, they didn't get much to root for up until about you know the three-minute mark of the second quarter. That fake field goal on the heels of the, the, the earlier touchdown, all of a sudden the crowd was in it. Um, you know, if you just kick the field goal, you go to a kickoff, who knows what happens in the two-minute drill from there. But getting the stop when they tried the little pitch play to the kicker really in, in, invigorated the Houston sidelines and then its crowd. And they went right down the field and much like Oklahoma did, you know, both both ends of both halves, almost have to get better in the two-minute drill defensively and put it in the end zone. Then they came out with the ball, went right back down the field and scored, Mike. Texas, when they, when they went for that fake field goal, 14 points. Next time they touched the football, it was a tie game. Uh, that's how big of a play that was in my mind for Steve Sarkeesian uh, to go for the fake, not take the three. Yeah, I mean, it went from 24-7 to 21-14, you know, in a blink of an eye with with a coaching decision. And, and if you're going to go for it, just line up and have your offense be out there that's been successful and just go for it on fourth down. There, yes. There's something about stopping a trick play that really energizes a fan base, energizes players. And I think it puts a little seed of doubt into your players' minds. Like, what? why did we call that play? What are we doing now? All of a sudden, your defense, it feels like a turnover in a way that a, a missed field goal doesn't. And so uh, Houston was going to need a spark. Texas was going to have to start the fire, right? I mean, Texas or Houston proved capable of continuing it and making it a football game, and that's credit to them. But they were going to need Texas to do something to spark it. They were going to need turnovers. They were going to need mistakes. They were going to need sloppy play. They were going to need something from Texas because they're just not as good as the Longhorns. And that thing was a decision by Sark to get a little cute, uh, to go for that field goal. I think it was cool. I I, I enjoy Sark's honesty and his ability to be like, yeah, that one was probably not, that probably wasn't that good, right? <laughs> you know, so I think that that's good. Uh, but it, with this roster, with this team, you don't need that stuff. Like you have Xavier Worthy, you have A.D. Mitchell, you have Jonathan Brooks, you have J.T. Sanders, you have Quinn Ewers. Just line up and go for it if, if you want to If you want to do that way, if you don't trust your field goal kicker. And so I thought it was an odd decision and, and one that absolutely let Houston back in the game, let the fans back in the game, and gave some hope to that Cougar sideline. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Uh, but this is where you give Texas credit after letting them back in the game and Houston making the adjustments. Despite all the loose coverage and all the misplays, Longhorns found a way to win this football game with the backup quarterback. And uh, that's really the exciting part. We were from Steve Sarkeesian from today's Monday news conference, recapping it here with Sark after he had watched the film, the positives he took from it, uh, that this is still a team that, that is finding ways to win football games. We got a really versatile football team. And that, that the idea that, that we can win games a lot of different ways and um, you know, that the fact that we're not one dimensional, that when if that one thing doesn't work, what do you do next? Whether that's offense, defense, special teams. And I thought this game uh, definitely showed that our versatility, I thought, really shined through. I thought this the, our culture shined through in this game, too. Um, I thought the, the togetherness of the team. Uh, the ability to, to, to keep their poise and composure showed up in one specific instance, but I think overall 
Um, I think the perseverance, the mental toughness, all those things we touched on after the game uh, definitely showed up. And I think the things that we emphasized in the bye week showed up. Uh, I thought obviously red zone offense was critical, um, and, and I thought we, we executed well there. I thought our ability to create turnovers. We've been harping on it and how, how big were those two turnovers, the Jalen Ford uh, sack fumble, the interception by Taff in the end zone were big. So to win the turnover margin two to nothing um, after not had taken care of it great the week before, was really big. And then our return game, uh, just two massive kick returns by, by Keelan Robinson and, and really done, really well done by that unit um, was big. And I thought we were close on a couple punt returns. So I think that aspect of the game is starting to grow and, and get better for us. So, um, All right. Uh, there you go. There's Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, there are positives, right? Finding a way to win a game, Mike. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Steve Sarkeesian's initial you know, film study and what he saw? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said at the beginning of this deal, I think there's two ways to look at this game. I mean, and they're probably both true. You probably should look at them through both ways. Like, it is frustrating. Texas was much better than that football team. They were up 21 to nothing. You don't want to give up that lead. You don't want to allow them into that football game. And to have a chance for them to tie it and send it to overtime on the road, they're late. Also, uh, Texas has shown a, a tremendous amount of, of guts and grit that they haven't in previous years. Like Texas was the team that was giving up second half leads and that was blowing things in the fourth quarter. They've been tied or behind in four uh, of their six wins, I think, or three of their six wins, and then also against Oklahoma. And so uh, they've had to battle in the second half. They've had to have those big uh, drives down down at the end of the thing. I think that it was good for the defense to come up with a stop. We've talked about kind of the two-minute defense in the first half against Houston and both halves against Oklahoma, so that's a confidence builder. The problem for Texas is uh, you go and you look at this team, and, and clearly the biggest bugaboo, the biggest Achilles heel is the secondary. Uh, and it's a very specific issue with the secondary. It's not the corners. Uh, against Houston, they had 11 targets on, against the corners, only seven receptions for 58 yards. 315 of the 378 yards Texas gave up through the air was the safety position and the linebacker position. Safety gave up 195 yards. The linebacker position gave up 120. And Houston, I don't know if you remember this in the game, Houston just started running mesh like over and over, just crossing after crossing after crossing, getting their uh, wide receivers on linebackers in the in the in the first level, and then against safeties in the second level, and just taking whichever one was open. If Texas did a good job covering the the initial crosser, they they threw it to the second one, or vice versa. Uh, Texas's safeties have struggled all year in pass coverage, and until they can figure that out, that's going to be something. Uh, that it, that is a problem for Texas moving forward, no doubt. No question, man. This is this is what happens over you know six seven games. More and more gets put on film, and there's more and more you can attack. And I I'm of the opinion, Mike, that when Keaton Crawford and Michael Taff are on the field together, it's a problem. Um, I just don't you know Keaton Crawford's the converted uh, cornerback who is trying to learn to play the safety position. They moved him there because of his speed, but I don't know that he sees the field like a safety needs to be able to see the field and identify things. He's like Michael Taff is yelling at him all the time about being in the right spot and carrying the right coverage and all kinds of things. Michael Taff just sometimes is a walk on. He's a good player, but just gets out athleted sometimes in Big 12 football. That's just a fact of nature. When they're on the field together, it turns into a problem. This goes back to the injury to Jalen Catalan. Uh, Jalen Gilbo started this game, uh, the, the red, the freshman, the sophomore, because Jade Barron wasn't going to play. And remember, Jade Barron, this thing got so bad for Texas in the middle part of this game. Jaday Barron was in a boot when the game began. He wasn't going to play. Uh, and they had to break the glass in a case of emergency. And he had to come play and had made some big plays, including the fourth down play where they got the stop late in the game. 
Uh, they were hoping to be able to get through this game without him. This goes to, to Blake Gideon, the safeties coach. This goes to, to uh, Terry Joseph and PK. They got to figure some things out. Hey, Nolan, uh, our digital producer, Nolan Hogan, can we fast forward to cut four? Uh, this is at the 11.06 mark. This is on the exact point Mike just made about the crossing routes. He was asked about that today, obviously. Uh, you were getting killed with these crossers, whether it was uh, Joseph Manjack or uh, the, the walk-on Dalton Carnes. Those guys were just tearing them up in the middle of the field. Uh, here's Sark with his thoughts on uh, the crossing routes and what he thinks was working and what they've got to work on. Anytime you call crossers and you're in man coverage, it's difficult when they're picking the guy that's that's guarding the man that's catching the ball. Um, and to their credit, they did a heck of a job picking us. You know, they didn't get called for it, so you can't complain that that it, that that's what was happening. Um, but it's it's pretty obvious that if, you know when picks occur, and we got picked a couple times, and it created that created a problem. We had one where it was poor communication. Um, we didn't cover it properly. And one, we were in zone. And when you're in zone, that's when you really got to be able to shut those crossers down and match those routes. So I think there was th levels to it. Um, but, but inevitably, we're going to have to play it better because we're going to see a ton of crossers this week. That's one of the staples of, of what BYU does. So we're going to have to play it better. Yeah, the linebackers, right, uh, the linebackers for Texas allowed uh, nine catches on 10 targets. And to your point, uh, that Keaton Crawford, Michael Taft combination allowed 170 yards and seven catches on eight targets, you know? And so um, just not anything that anytime Houston was able to get rid of the ball, they were, they were having success over the middle of the field when they were isolating the linebackers uh, and the safeties. Yeah. And that's going to continue because, uh, you know, I do think they've seen back to back pass first teams. I mean, this is what was so frustrating for Texas fans in the building and watching you, 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 any defensive coordinator's goal is to make a team one-dimensional. Houston was completely one-dimensional. They couldn't run the football. They ended up with 40 yards rushing in the game. Um, yet they couldn't stop the one dimension, right? I mean, that's really frustrating. And I think there's some injuries there, but there's also some technique and coaching that has to come into this. And it's going to keep coming. And it'll get Texas beat eventually because yeah. uh, they're not going to get out to the 21 nothing lead. And the other team's not going to figure out, wait a second, why don't we just run these crossers all day? They're not going to stop it. They're just not. Uh, and, they're just not fast enough on the back end. Yeah, you know I mean, I think that's why Derek Williams ends up playing so much. You know, it's why Malik Muhammad gets on the field for fifty-two snaps against Houston as well. Like, they're just trying to get faster, and I, I am surprised because, like, we're not as smart as these coaches, right? Blake Gideon knows more about football, you know, than I, than I will ever know. Uh, but I'm really surprised that they didn't try to cross train some of these corners at safety going into the year, right? Like if Gavin Holmes can play a little safety, if Jalen Gilboy uh, or Jade uh, Barron is good enough to play a little deep safety, because Gilbo played pretty well, uh, I thought, against Houston as well. I mean, again, it was more deep safeties and, and those underneath crossers against linebackers. And so uh, it just feels to me that Keaton Crawford, uh, Jaron Thompson, even Jalen Catalan, we got like a lot of those guys, they're just not fast enough to guard vertically down the field or to play man as guys are streaking across the middle of the field on crossers, as, as Sark pointed out. Yeah. And then the picks come in and whether it's a pick or a rub, whatever they want to call it, uh, same time they blew some coverages too. And that's got to get fixed without a doubt. Uh, another, as we talk about the game here in our first quarter on the eyes on Texas multicast, uh, another critical issue is, uh, um, you know, teams showing new defenses. Sark has said this again, and even, uh, and I know you went to the press conferences, Mike Dana Holgerson confirmed it, that they threw a, a totally new defense together between the West Virginia game and the Houston, uh, the matchup with Texas. Uh, Dana Holgerson actually said, if we had run the same defense we ran against West Virginia, we'd have lost 82 to nothing. Uh, so they came out with a three high safety look and they really just took, um, you know, once, because obviously the first touchdown was A.D. Mitchell. 
uh, on man coverage uh, with an in route back to the out touchdown uh, in the red zone. Uh, and then it was the, the, one of the prettier, prettier catch and throws you'll see Quinn yours to Xavier Worthy down the right sidelines, um, you know, beat, beat the coverage and got in the end zone. Uh, from that point on, though, it does feel like and Sark confirmed that they, they started to double in the back end the two receivers and so they're not going to beat us and you know you should be able to beat that so a lot of dump off passes a lot of throws to cj baxter and to uh, jonathan brooks down in the flat there uh but and after the game sark said look they really ran a totally different defense than we had seen on film through the first two months of the season that's uh, the fourth team that apparently has done that here's sark when asked about that this is the cut nolan cut uh cut three which is uh the cross of the uh the team showing new news that starts at 12 16. See if we can hear that. He, he says he takes it as a compliment, but they got to be able to manage it moving forward. Again, I, I take it as a compliment that, that people want to go to a length of doing something that they haven't shown through six games and do something totally different. And that's okay. Um, you know, and that, like last week's game against Houston, that was from the first snap of the game. It wasn't like they went to it after we had 21 points. That, that was exactly what they did from the first snap of the game. And we executed good football and, and obviously got out to a 21-point to a lead. Um, I think for all of us, we have to continue to respect the game and, and, and stay sharp on our details, uh, whether that's the scheme, whether that's the execution, whether that's um, the situations within the game and playing those situations. So through it all, I think it was a good lesson learned. And there's nothing better than learning lessons after a win um, because I think that's when, when you win ugly, you can, you can coach hard and you can fix issues and, and then come out and play better the next week. All right, so there he is. Uh, says I took it as a compliment. They keep throwing things at us we haven't seen yet. And Olgerson confirmed it. And uh, uh, you know, Quinn Ewers adapted, but obviously, then by the end of the game, Quinn Ewers was out of this game uh, for Texas. One other piece of audio from Sark to wrap up our first quarter. We kind of recap in a 31-24 win for the Longhorns uh, to pick up win number six on the year. They're six and one, and this is probably the most important part. Uh, Sark talking about a win is a win. Um, the you know, this is this is what it's about. Uh, he's got to win the football game. This was a game probably last year, Mike, they lose it. They lost it at Texas Tech in a very similar way, but they took a big lead and had to, you know, fight for it and lost in overtime. Same thing with Oklahoma State, seemed in control, they ended up losing the game. Here's Sark on finding a way to win the game, even with an injured quarterback. I think one of the keys for us um, is that we get some of the issues fixed uh, coming out of the game. Um, and I think that, again, our coaches will, will do that. I think that's a credit to our players. You know, in the team meeting this morning, in their position meetings, they were dialed in. They want to make sure that some of the issues that we had uh, do get rectified so that we play better football. Um, nobody wants to play better than they do. And so I think that's a credit to them that they'll do that. And I think one of the keys for us in, in moving forward is keeping the focus on us. And, you know, I've said this early on. And I, and I mean this, and I, I said the same thing to the team. The, the opinions of others really don't matter. What we do does. And I think that that's extremely important um, as we go on to this stretch here in the second half of the season um, where every game is a Big 12 championship game. You know, our ability to stay focused on us and what we need to do um, to play good football, to keep stacking wins is of the utmost importance. Um, opinions really don't matter. You know, it's, we there, there you go, Mike. Let's wrap up the first quarter. Your thoughts on that? Opinions don't matter. They really don't. I mean, the Longhorns actually jumped up in the polls, a spot to number seven with the uh, win because Penn State was a loser to Ohio State. That's going to continue to happen if they keep winning. But obviously, these mistakes we're seeing will lead to a loss if they don't get them fixed. 
Yeah, I mean, Texas controls their own destiny through the Big 12 and to the Big 12 championship game. They most likely control their own destiny to the college football playoff. There is a scenario or two where, uh, you know, 12 and one Texas Big 12 champion doesn't get into uh, the college football playoff, but it would take everybody else around the country, you know, playing perfectly and just kind of that, uh, you know, that that kind of thing to play out there. So I think for Texas, if we look at when they struggled this year, you know, even in games that they've won, most of it's been self-inflicted, you know, I mean, even in, even in the Oklahoma game against the loss, those three turnovers and, and uh, running into the kicker and, and the not getting the, the goal line touchdown there when Oklahoma had the goal line stop, you know, Wyoming, they were sloppy and kind of loud uh, the Cowboys to stay in that game, Houston, they're out 21 to nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the fake kick kind of gives Houston a little bit of momentum. And so when Texas has just shown up, played within themselves, played mistake-free football. They've blown these teams off, off the field in those moments. They just haven't done it for four quarters, Sands, you know, maybe that that Baylor game, right? And so even the Kansas game, the first half was a little sloppy, and then and they took it away in the, in the second half. It is hard. This is not a video game. It is hard to get 18 to 22-year-olds to play 60 minutes worth of football, especially against competition that they know they're better in when you're up 21 to nothing. But that's the championship level that Texas is trying to get to. Sure, there are only three, four, five teams in the country that really do that week in and week out. But those are the teams Texas is trying to catch up to, and that's the kind of standard that Sark is trying to instill. And he's absolutely right. It's much easier to talk about those things and do those things after a win. Uh, compared to after a loss. And, and I agree that maybe this would have turned into a loss in previous years. Yeah, well, that's the key. You, you won the game. Survive in advance. You, uh, Oklahoma had to do the same thing against Central Florida. Uh, they had to stop a two-point conversion. They had been in overtime. Texas was almost in overtime. Although I will say, to wrap up our first quarter, Dana Holgerson at his news conference today said that had they scored, um, that they got in their better spot and gone in and scored, they were going to go for two. And they were going to Run it, the, run the upside down, hook them or whatever he said, and we were going to win 32-31. So he had already had in his mind that they were going for two in that spot, not trying to go to overtime with Texas. So, uh, you know, get a win, get out, get better. And that's really what the Longhorns need to do is keep getting better. But there are issues that have been exposed over the last few games that uh, they've got to go to work on for sure. Uh, we come back from our, to our second quarter. Let me tell you about uh, we're going to get into the injury things. We'll get Sark's update on Quinn Ewers. What is the issue? Also, there's one other player that's going to be listed as week to week now. Sark will explain that. Uh, but some positive news on the injury front, too. Also, in our third quarter, we'll talk about moving forward and improving on these things that Texas needs to improve on. Also, getting backup quarterbacks ready to play, Malik Murphy and Arch Manning. That conversation coming in our third quarter. But do want to uh, give you a quick timeout to tell you about our great friends at Brain Vault, the Brain Vault technology revolutionary with our friend Dr. Greg Eckert and his partner, Drew Pittman. Brain Vault has patented technology based on proven science that helps protect young athletes and reduce the risk of concussions. I know sometimes I say that and you're thinking, well, how does that work? How does that happen? Uh, I can read you this from Dr. Greg Eckert, who has been doing rigorous testing with the great people down at uh, Texas State University that have been, been testing this this product of theirs, which is Brain Vault, which is an orthotic. And they just got on Friday some some proven based uh, research that six, this absolutely works. It is developed technology that, that is used in the NFL. As we told you, Drew Pittman, his partner of over 30 years, an agent in the NFL, has helped Dr. Record here you know, bring this technology to the NFL. And over 100 NFL players have been wearing the Brain Vault technology with no concussions over the last eight years, which is just incredible. And then 
Um, Brain Vault now taking their technology used in the NFL and developed a retail version of their mouth guard. So now your young athlete can have the same level of protection that NFL players have experienced. And all you have to do is go to BrainVault.com. You can go learn at the website all about that new research at Texas State. It's proven technology now that works. Uh, it aligns your, your jawline with your, with your neck muscles, and that's all about that moment of impact. Uh, where your jaw is going to clench, your mouth is going to, your teeth are going to clench, and you have to have the right alignment. That's what this is about. It's BrainVault.com. Learn more. It's the next level of protection. Get your young athlete fitted in any contact sport. Your entire team fitted. Uh, Vandergriff High School here in Austin, Lake Travis, uh, Regents schools all over Central Texas, down into Houston, up into Dallas, are getting all their entire rosters and teams fitted for the Brain Vault technology, and you should too, at BrainVault.com. That's BrainVault.com. Join the movement to get your fitting set up now. All right, Mike, let's open up quarter number two of the Eyes on Texas multicast following the win over Houston 31-27. Obviously, our entire second quarter devoted to injuries because it was a big one, and that's to Quinn yours. Can we start this by hearing from Sark? Uh, you know, early on in his press conference today, he uh, let folks know what was going on with Quinn. Also, Ethan Burke, the Longhorn starting defensive end, has an injury he's dealing with. Here is Sark on the very latest. You know, Quinn uh, and Ethan Burke will both be week to week uh, at this point. You know, you never, we never really know exactly how bodies respond um, to injury. Um, and so we're just going to have to monitor these guys on a weekly basis. Uh, obviously, we're going to do everything in our power to get both those guys back um, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And obviously, Catalan's kind of in that same in that same breath. Okay, so those are the three guys there. Everybody else is uh, has been really good. And All right, so there you go, Mike. Quinn Ewers, Ethan Burke, and Jalen Catalan still in the week-to-week category. The reports are it's a grade two shoulder sprain, AC joint sprain for Quinn, which means, you know, we could be one week, would be two weeks, could be three. You just heard Sark say different people, different heal, heal differently. Uh, the fact that last year Quinn did deal with an injury to his left shoulder, the collarbone issue, and uh, took him five weeks. This one doesn't seem as severe as that. Same time, it's a throwing shoulder, not the left shoulder this time. Uh, so we'll wait and see. Who knows? I mean, the Longhorns have back-to-back home games now with BYU and K-State, but uh, listed as week-to-week, according to Sark. I'd imagine he's out at least two weeks, just from from what I, people I've talked to around the program, uh, around South Lake Carroll that still know Riley Dodge. Just just knowing these injuries from having a grandfather who was kind of a re this is what he did was kind of, this was his job was to work guys back uh, from injury. So I can still kind of lean on him uh, for how long these things last. And so I'd imagine he misses the next two games, BYU, Kansas state at home. Uh, then it becomes pain tolerance and just how well he can throw moving forward. And frankly, probably how good the UT backup quarterback has played, right? Whether that's Malik Murphy or Arch Manning, if one or both of those guys come out and play really well, then maybe that allows, Ewers a little bit more time to heal. But it, from what it sounds like to me, unless there's something structurally damaged there, which I don't think there is, or you wouldn't say it was week to week, it's going to come down to getting rehab for the next couple of weeks, getting swelling down, and then just figuring out what you can manage from a from a pain standpoint. All right, there you go. And uh, so that's the injury. Catalan, Burke, and Ethan Burke, of course, was wearing a knee brace for the last few games. Wasn't wearing the knee brace, brace in this game. It looks like he may have re-injured that knee. He's dealing with a bit of a sprain. Uh, in the knee, and then Jalen Catalan, we don't know, uh, could use him in a big way with his intelligence and uh, high IQ in the back end moving forward. Uh, so one other piece of uh, Sark audio talking about the defensive backs, and this is where Jalen Catalan comes in. Uh, Jade Barron, as we said, they had him in a boot and was hope, we're hoping not to have to use him. Jalen Gilbo, the sophomore, uh, was, dead, was back and playing. 
um, but it wasn't going good. So they, they took the boot off and said, get on in there, Jade. And he did pay some dividends. Here's Sark on the versatility of Jade Barron. Actually, by the end of that game, Mike, because of injuries at corner to Gavin Holmes and Terrence Brooks, slid out and was playing corner in this game. So this is a cut about the the injuries in the back end, but also starts with Sark talking about Jade Barron and the versatility he brings uh, to that secondary. As the week goes on, we'll, we'll assess that. What's what's in our best interest for this game of what we need to do? Like I said, I think it was big for Jalen Gilbo to, to play as much as he did Saturday, especially that, in, that entirety of the first half. Um, so we know what we have there and his experience from last year, and he feels really healthy, and that looks good. Um, but we're going to have to monitor Gavin Holmes. Uh, we're going to have to monitor, you know, Terrence Brooks got a little nicked up. Um, I think we're, we're more than hopeful that we'll get Ryan Watts back this week, which, which was big for us. And I think Manny Muhammad's coming. So it's all predicated on where's our issues um, and trying to put the best five out there that, that give us a chance and then rotate those other guys. All right, so there is uh, Sark uh, getting those guys back in there. Working on the crossing routes will continue to be a factor for the Longhorns. So, uh, Jade Barron is one to watch for. And obviously, Ryan Watts becomes a big one, right? If you get Ryan Watts back, I do think, you know, Jade Blair hadn't played a ton, Mike, but to get him back, to get, you know, Roth Watts was playing at some level at, a, at an all Big 12 level when, before he got hurt. He had got beaten on a deep ball or two, but really there was so much confidence in him. It felt like teams were going away from him. Uh, him not being on the field was kind of exposed at times, both sides of the field. And, and obviously, as you, you, you reported and talked about the second, the, the safeties are really having a hard time. And what's interesting is it doesn't feel like Texas knows who their best safeties are. Like if you go to PFF and just look at snap numbers, uh, Malik Muhammad, Terrence Brooks, both played 52 snaps, obviously ended up kind of being the headline cornerbacks. But then Gilbo and, and Barron were split right at 32. Some of that has to do with injuries. I think both of them played pretty well. But then if you look at safety, Derek Williams is the, the most played safety for Texas at, at the deep level with 36. Uh, then it's Michael Taft at 35, Keaton Crawford at 33. Uh, Jaron Thompson at 28. And so it doesn't feel like Texas even knows kind of who those safeties are. They're trying to mismatch them uh, depending on personnel, depending on situations. And you just know, as you mentioned earlier, as you get more and more film, as we're getting into, you know, game seven, game eight, game nine, really smart offensive coordinators are going to figure that kind of stuff out. And they're just going to isolate those guys, figure out what they can't do well. So they're going to, they're going to have to iron out some of that and try, try to figure out how to hide that. I don't know this far in the year, how you can do that. Um, in terms of injuries, do you think it's time to kind of start talking about like Quinn Ewer's injury history and if that's kind of a, a thing about <clears> him or is, is just some of this freak stuff with with shoulder injuries? Uh, because he missed six games as a junior in high school. Uh, obviously, his senior year, he forego and went and redshirted at, at Ohio, Ohio State and then didn't play. Uh, missed three games last year for the shoulder injury and now is injured, you know, after week eight uh, here in this season. And so. Uh, I think it's a, you know, some of it's the, the position and he's taking two big hits. Those are big guys falling on his shoulder. It only takes eight pounds of pressure. Uh, but I do think it's something to, to kind of like think about and talk about with, with the Quinn Ewers situation uh, because he has been injured the last three years. He's been a full-time starter in, in his career. Oh, no question. I mean, it'll be a red flag. If, you know, we talk about him next level. Uh, obviously Texas is work focused on right now and the big picture of their program, but yeah, that's going to be called into question. And, Obviously, you know, his decision to take on a linebacker is going to be questioned as far as decision-making at the quarterback spot. But, yes, durability is a huge factor. Uh, you know, the best ability is reliability and dependability. And if you can't be dependable to play a full season, we've seen that all over the National Football League. You know, good quarterbacks that just can't stay healthy, uh, get that rap, get that knock. And uh, they need Quinn to stay healthy 
as much as they can. Obviously, it appears the injury happened on a play that really wasn't anything he could do about it. Uh, came with a blitz and tight end didn't pick it up, and he got rolled over on. As you said, only takes eight pounds of pressure to, you know, separate that or sprain that shoulder, which is what appears happened. But it is a fair question. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But it also continues the the trend that, gosh, I'd say in the last 20, 25 years, the Longhorns have not had to go to the backup quarterback at any point in the year for like three or four times. I mean, that's really it every year. And that's not, and that's, and that's you know, true across that's, college football. Yeah, like, that's not, that's not definitely, you know, ask Texas A&M about that, ask Texas Tech about that, ask Baylor about that. Yeah. Uh, done, you know, Dylan Gabriel last year at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, you got to have the backup quarterback ready, which is what our third quarter will be dedicated to coming up uh, because getting Malik Murphy ready, Arch Manning ready, we'll hear from Sark on what's next for the Texas Longhorns and moving forward to face a BYU team and then K-State. So we'll get to that coming up. That wraps up our second quarter. Uh, brought to you by our great friends at Hayes City Store and Ice House. I uh, was out there uh, watching some football, and, and the band Suede was out there last night, Mike, after uh, you know, to wrap up the weekend. Suede, one of the best bands, cover bands in Austin, uh, pretty legendary. They were out there playing last night on the stage. Uh, maybe with the Hayes City Store you've seen, there's a, a PBS show called uh, – what's the show where the guy goes around with a little hat and goes to little towns and checks checks places out? Uh, Day Tripper. Day Tripper. Uh uh, they did a, a cool feature on Hayes City Store. But let me tell you about Hayes City Store and Ice House. Quick minute for them. It's delivered by the incredible Scratch Food and amazing times at Hayes City Store and Ice House in Driftwood, Texas. Hayes City Store ready to serve you and your family every day of the week. They are the total package when it comes to a destination location or just a night out. They offer seating inside in the original store and uh, bar and kitchen with the air conditioning or on the picnic tables, on the turf, under the gorgeous canopy of oak, uh, Hill Country Oak Trees, live right near the live music stage where they feature great music six nights a week. Also, you can go where I go all the time into the adjacent covered, incredibly comfortable ice house and sports bar uh, and you just enjoy the uh, famous now uh, scratch texas comfort food wood-fired pizzas house ground burgers the best wings if you love wings you're gonna love their wings they're unbelievable uh they smoke them first and then give them a little little deep they're just tremendous uh, they got the wood-fired pizzas I mentioned, house ground burgers, chicken fried steak, truck stop enchiladas, plus a full bar, great margaritas, and over 53 beers on tap and so much more. Great for a night out with the lady or a bigger group with a big birthday or anniversary or graduation. It's 8989 FM 150 in Driftwood. That's Hayes City Store and Ice House. The complete mouthwatering menu is online at HayesCityStoreTX.com. All right, halftime. Uh, before we get to our third quarter, quick little interlude to remind you that there are 30-plus 30, 30 Longhorns playing in the National Football League, and our digital producer, Nolan Hogan, has been doing the, the deep-dive work on Longhorns in the NFL. I know Deontay Foreman had a great game yesterday uh, for the Chicago Bears. we got a big win over the Raiders. Uh, got some Longhorns starring in the National Football League. Bijan Robinson, by the way, didn't play yesterday, Mike, because of a headache, kind of a migraine thing. They couldn't figure it out before the game, said his head was – his head was just throbbing, and he couldn't really see clearly. And so Arthur Smith, the coach of the uh, uh, Falcons, said, you know what, we're going to shut this thing down, and, and he did not play yesterday. But, uh, Nolan, who else did we see have big games playing in Sunday football for the Longhorns? Uh, you mentioned Deontay Foreman, 16 carries, 89 yards, and two tuds. Um, Brandon and a receiving Schooler, touchdown, too. Yeah, a receiving tuddy, too. Yes, three touchdowns on the day. Uh, another big performance is Charles Amenahu in his season debut after his suspension to the Chargers. Uh, two t two solo tackles, one sack, and a PBU that led to an uh, interception. Uh, it was a big game for him. Deshaun Elliott for the Dolphins, playing against Philly this week, had four tackles, one solo. P.J. Locke uh, played against Green Bay for the, for the uh, Denver Broncos, three tackles, one solo, and an interception. 
Quandre Diggs, Quandre the Giant, playing for Seattle against the Cardinals this week, had three solo tackles and a PBU. And our guy, Brendan Schooler, two solo tackles for the uh, New England Patriots versus the Bills. All right, there you go. Uh, and halftime brought to you by our friends at One Source Gas, keeping up with the Longhorns in the National Football League. Hopefully, if you have a fantasy football team and you had Deontay Foreman stashed on your bench that you got him in the lineup yesterday because he, he delivered in a big way with a three-touchdown effort for the Bears with some injuries to Cleo Herbert and uh, uh, Roshan Johnson, a little dinged up as well there in Chicago, the lifetime Longhorn. Uh, One Source Gas of Austin brings you halftime. Our great friends, let's give you a quick pause to say about uh, Richard Strieber and the team at One Source Gas. One Source Gas of Austin is your Texas compressed compressed gas leader. One Source Gas provides compressed gases such as CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, propane, and many more to various industries all through the great state now. Uh, They are your lead CO2 provider if you're in the service industry and bars and restaurants. We're talking about Hayes City Store. They've got all the taps ready to go out there. Uh, Restaurants all over Austin, Central Texas, and and down into San Marcos and beyond. Uh, Also the hospitality industry and the medical industry. Very important in the veterinary uh, field and in the medical field. If you need gases daily and weekly, they are your locally owned and operated uh, operation for over 12 years. They understand exceptional customer service is the key when your uh, success is about it. That's what you can't do without it, right? So you got to have it. Just make sure it's there all the time. So if you're a bar, restaurant owner, dental office, veterinary clinic, just call One Source Gas or go to their website, onesourcegasatx.com. That's onesourcegasatx.com. They've got your compressed gas needs covered better than anyone. That's why they're growing, because they keep taking business from others who are not serving their customers like they will. Onesourcegasatx.com. Or call them, 214-8484. That's 214-8484. They'll get you all set up. All right, appreciate their support. Bringing you halftime each and every week here on the Eyes on Texas Multicast. Uh, twice a week now, because we'll have another episode that we'll record on Thursday. Full preview of BYU that will drop on Friday right ahead of uh, the big game. First home game for the Longhorns in quite a while, a month, as a matter of fact. Played Kansas and then uh, went to Dallas, had an off week, went to Houston, and now they're coming back, and that'll lead us into our third quarter. By the way, in our fourth quarter, coming up, we'll get our final four big questions around college football in the Big 12 coming out of the pre- late the last week, including sign stealing. That has become a big conversation after what's going on at the University of Michigan. Can't wait to get Mike's thoughts on that. We'll hear Steve Sarkeesian's thoughts on sign stealing and what goes on with it, and if it's a real thing or not, because Michigan's in the crosshairs right now with Jim Harbaugh, but uh, Mike, third quarter, moving forward is uh, the, the headline there. Uh, now you're moving forward in, in the top seven in the country, one lost team, still remaining the highest ranked one lost team out there. Uh, but now you're going to be getting ready, a uh, young quarterback, a uh, new quarterback, Malik Murphy. Can we start with some audio from Sark? He was asked today about, uh, you know, what are the strengths? Uh, if there are two or three strengths of Malik Murphy that Longhorn fans are going to get to see on display starting Saturday at 2.30 uh, what are the strengths of this young quarterback out of the state of California? Well, he's a, definitely Malik's a natural passer. When you, when you, when he throws the ball, he throws a very beautiful ball, beautiful ball. Um, and I think there's not a throw that that he can't make. Um, you know, I think he's got really good leadership qualities. Uh, I think the guys, you know, like playing with Malik, and that, and that's a positive as a quarterback. You know, uh, inevitably, you know, as a quarterback, you're only as good as the guys around you, and and those guys when guys play good around you that makes your job a lot easier and I think that that's extremely helpful and I think the third piece is his understanding of what we're doing he's got a great feel for the game uh, he's got a good feel for passing the ball he can make all the throws but I think he understands what we do and why we do um, and that that's a that's another added bonus right there Mike uh, thoughts on Malik Murphy we you know saw him in the spring game looked really good turned some heads with the arm strength and the decisive 
pros down the field, big arm, big athlete. Uh, we're going to need to see Malik Murphy, it looks like. Looks like it. You know, big guy, uh, can make every single throw, as Sark said today at his press conference. Uh, super talented, won, won a state title uh, when he was a, a high school player in California. Kind of dealt with injuries the first couple of years he was on campus. The spring game was the first time a lot of us got to see him really throw a football uh, in, in, a, in a real setting. And so uh, was impressive there. Uh, as Sark said, has the respect of his teammates. And so uh, it's going to be an interesting week, you know, because the elephant in the room is there. Right. Like this is going to get, you know, people are going to talk about Arch. Uh, if Even if, if Malik starts, it's going to be a series or two. If it's not, you know, right down the field scoring touchdowns, people are going to want to see Arch. Um, and he, you know, Sark today at his press conference said both of them were getting snaps with the first team. So it's going to be an interesting week on the 40. Uh, it's going to it's going to get fun. Well, to that end, let's hear Sark talking about getting two young quarterbacks ready, because obviously, just like we saw Quinn go down in that game, Malik Murphy could, could suffer an injury at any point in any ball game. So Arch Manning will get more and more reps as we go. And that's the, the royal family of, of football right now, the Manning name. We know it's hovering there, but let's hear Sark on the strategy for he and his coaching staff, A.J. Milwee, the quarterback's coach, uh, Kyle Flood, the offensive coordinator, to get both quarterbacks ready to play as Quinn Ewers re rehabs. We got to take our time as a coaching staff, uh, which we started on yesterday. What are the things that Malik does well? What are the things that Arch does well? It's not always about the idea of the play and putting it on a whiteboard because there's a lot of plays that look good, but what do they do well? And then how do we ensure, okay, here's the concepts that we think they run really well. They don't have to run the whole playbook. They need to run what they run really well. And then how do we devise a plan that incorporates what they do well with the personnel formation, motion shifts, run game to tie it all together? And so uh, that, that's kind of how you do it. You know, um, I, I think it's important that they get confidence early is always helpful. But you never know how a game's going to go. These guys are elite competitors. Uh, I'm not concerned about them, you know, fighting through when adversity strikes. But I do want to make sure that I'm, I'm giving them the opportunity to do the things that they've shown us that they're good at and that they like. Um, because, you know, Saturday does, is going to be a test enough. It doesn't need to be a final exam as far as, you know, let's test them on things that they might know or might not know. I'll, I want to test them on the stuff that I know they know really well. Uh, I hope they get 100%. This is an open book test. I hope they, I hope they play great. I right, hope they hope they're great, Mike. I mean, that's interesting. That uh, and I like that. I think that's the kind of music the Longhorn fans' ears on the Eyes on Texas multicast. We're not going to ask them to run the same playbook as Quinn. We're going to talk about what they do well, plays that they're very comfortable with, and, and formations and schemes. And you know, we'll have plays built for them, and certainly for Malik Murphy's strengths, because those are different than what Quinn your strengths are. I just think this whole thing's fascinating. I think there's the the micro conversation of what happens over the next week or two. Texas playing against. Uh, a solid BYU team at, at five and two, but then a really good Kansas State team that that's finding their stride uh, in the second week. So their next two opponents are ten and four. Their last three are eleven and twelve uh, right now. So if you can survive these next two weeks, you feel pretty good. Especially if viewers comes back, obviously. But then it gets really fun if we start talking about the macro stuff, right? The the large big picture stuff. We've talked about all off season how this for Quinn Ewers is kind of a show me or leave me type of, of season. He was either going to be in the NFL draft or maybe in the transfer portal. I think the injury kind of opens up the third option, right? And, and if that that third option exists, like are Malik Murphy, are an Arch Manning even on campus? If, is this a debut or a, 
a resume building thing for them to get into the portal or to be the starting quarterback next year? Uh, what does it mean for Quinn Ewers if these two guys play super, super well? What does it mean for Texas if neither one of them does? And so uh, there is just so many things that could happen here on Saturday. Maybe Malik Murphy comes out and throws for 280 yards and a couple touchdowns, no interceptions, and this thing just goes to bed uh, for a little bit. Uh, if not, uh, there is a real controversy in, t- in Austin, and I, I guess I grew up in the era of the Mac Brown stuff before Vince Young got there, where it felt like every single year was a co- quarterback controversy, where we were always trying to know if that next young gun was going to step up and be even better than than the guy who was the starter now. And so it feels like kind of that situation right now, where to its credit, Texas has built so much talent in the quarterback room that we all just want to see it. Well, I think you're right. That when I was covering Texas when that was all going on, and it was. Actually started with Shea Morenz and James Brown way back in the middle 90s that led to a quarterback controversy, and that was John Makovic, obviously. Then Mac Brown just started recruiting quarterbacks at a high level, so you had the major major Apple. I was actually here, recruited by John Makovic, uh, but then Chris Sims is the number one quarterback in the country, kind of like Quinn, but everybody loved Major Applewhite, but then he got hurt in the, uh, the Alamo Bowl, which gave Sims the open door, and that led to that huge controversy in the Sims-Applewhite debate. Gosh, even Vince Young, there were debates about Chance Mock, who was a highly recruited player out of the Woodlands, who all of a sudden people wanted Chance Mock, and let's move Vince to receiver. Um, This is where a a leader, a coach, has to have a real steady hand. You can't go where the wind blows. You can't listen to fans. We heard Sark say it earlier here in the multicast. You know, opinions don't matter. We have to do what we can do. And right now he's got Malik Murphy to play in this game and uh, win this game. You just mentioned the stat that matters most. Uh, Moving forward, the next two opponents are at home. So you have your home crowd behind you. Texas does play good at home, um, you know, and they're 12 and three, uh, you know, uh, with her Sark coming up previewing BYU. BYU is his alma mater. The head coach was a teammate of his uh, at BYU. The offensive coordinator was a receiver he threw to at BYU. So he knows this team very well. Um, and then K-State, as you said, they're finding their stride and we'll learn more about them. But these are the two toughest games as far as record goes left, because then you're going to TCU, you're going to Iowa State, you play Tech. Those are all 500 or below teams right now. So these two games are critical. Uh, I, I get your, because I'm with you, right? We're in the interesting game. We want to write stories about interesting conversations. I'm in that in the morning radio. But for Sark, that can't matter. He's got to get a quarterback ready to play and also have Arch ready to play. But don't listen to the rabble if, if Malik struggles a couple of drives, because Quinn has struggled a couple of drives here and there. you got to stick with your guy. If he's your backup quarterback, he's your backup quarterback. But uh, it, certain, the word fascinating certainly is on the top of everybody's mind. One other from Sark. It, I was interested today. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think another thing for Sark to do, and I'm sure he's doing this, is, is reminding those guys, reminding Malik and reminding Arch, y'all don't have to be superstars. We don't need 400 yards and 50 completions. and all. Like, this is going to be about Jonathan Brooks, C.J. Baxter. As Sark talked about getting confidence, building type throws, getting the ball quickly into your playmaker's hands, relying on J.T. Sanders, relying on that offensive line. And so Texas is in a position – that they don't need the quarterback to come in and win them football games. Just come in there, drive the bus, don't lose us football games, get Quinn Ewers back healthy, and then you go out there and, and compete for the stuff you put out in front of yourself as goals before the season started. You're right, and I think that's one of the great positives that comes out of the win at Houston on Saturday is C.J. Baxter looked as healthy as we've seen him, and he looked explosive. Uh, that's the C.J. Baxter of those five-star player, and he was kind of looked like that in his start against Rice to start the year. Then he got hurt, and he hasn't been healthy since, and uh, he looked explosive and healthy to go with Jonathan Brooks. Now you kind of have a two-headed monster at the running back position to help set up play action for these guys. And, uh, you know, they're going to test these guys. These defenses are going to try to figure out what Malik Murphy's all about. Uh, one other from Sark on the quarterbacks. Uh, 
I think this is kind of a peek behind the curtain because Sark was asked today, you know, how often during the week when Quinn's, Quinn's healthy, are you working with the quarterbacks to be ready for something like this? So this was pretty interesting. Sark talking about prepping quarterbacks 24 seven. It's a weekly thing that they do to be in tune with their backup quarterback and their third string quarterback, just because this could happen. When we, when we put together a game plan, there's constant dialogue throughout the week with the quarterbacks and how we're reading it and what, how, how we want to do it. Um, and then we try, to, we try to devise the reps in practice so that guys are getting reps of, of specific plays and things. And then on Friday night, every Friday night before every game, myself, Coach Mill, we, we sit with all the quarterbacks and, and we walk through the call sheet and we'll ask them their favorite plays in this situation, that situation. And so we kind of have a, a, a running log of the plays that they mark that they like, right? And so you know, seven weeks into the season, I've, I've got seven straight weeks of information from Malik of the plays that he feels comfortable with. And so now as we start to devise a plan, um, I don't always necessarily have to wait till Friday to ask him what he wants because the majority of the things that are in this plan, I already know he feels really comfortable with. All right, so there you go. Peek behind the curtain, Mike. Uh, these, they, you know, Sark's a quarterback himself, A.J. Milwee. Uh, this is an ongoing thing. And every coach has to, you know, have their, their quarterback that backs up their starter and behind him ready to go because uh, it can happen and it happens all over the country. You think we see more savvy on red? Uh, maybe like that's another interesting wrinkle, Mike, fascinating wrinkle because uh, Savion Reds package. And that's what gives Sark some credit uh, for what they did, right? They did fix some issues in the bye week. They hadn't fixed the safeties problem. Um, they were better with their pass rush lanes on defense, I think. And the red zone was a lot better, a lot, a lot better. They had the one field goal they had to settle for when they started first and goal at the 10 yard line, they didn't get that one in, but uh, the first touchdown, AD Mitchell was from the red zone about the 17 yard line. Uh, the touchdown to CJ Baxter was from the 16 yard line to win the game. Uh, and then uh, Savion Red to make it 21 to nothing was off the red cap package. And that thing, you know, no one's really stopped that yet, Mike. When they've needed short yardage, wherever they've run it, it's worked. So, yes. And guess what? Savion Red did play quarterback. He can throw a little bit. So, yes, I think you're right about that. Uh, appreciate you bringing up that point here. That's why our eyes are on Texas football because of those kind of comments right there from Mike Craven. Bring it. Yeah, Savion Red, bring it. Now we got to, because you, you look, you, Mike, you just need to win games just like yep. you just did. Find ways, find ways. And if Savion Red's got a bigger package, uh, probably shouldn't be bigger package, but if Savion <laughs> Red uh, is somebody that you can use more to help your team, then absolutely that's the goal for Sark. Don't listen to the public noise. Uh, get your team ready to play and win a game. Because, again, if you get four or five more just like you just had, that you got to survive, but you're winning, Longhorns will continue to rise in the polls and rise to where they want to be and get back to the Big 12 title game. One other here in our third quarter brought to you by the Texas Mortgage Guy, our man Carlos Carrion. Uh, we'll say more about Carlos coming up, thetexasmortgageguy.com. Last one on BYU. Quick thought, obviously, we'll report our Thursday episode coming up Thursday and drop it on Friday with the full deep dive look at the BYU Cougars at 5-2 and two, coming off their win over Texas Tech on Saturday out in Provo. Here's Sarkin, as we mentioned, very familiar with this program, actually played and starred for BYU back in the day. Quick thought from Sark on the Cougars rolling in here on Saturday. Uh, and we're playing a really good BYU football team, uh, five and two. Um, obviously, my alma mater. Uh, I know a lot of those coaches well. You know, Kalani Sataki and I were, were teammates uh, back in the day, and I can't believe he's in year eight and he's doing a heck of a job. Aaron Roderick, their offensive coordinator, was a, was a receiver of mine when I was there. Uh, so these guys are really good coaches. They've got really good schemes. They've got a veteran football team. 
um, and they play extremely hard. They're tough nosed, they're hard nosed. Uh, they play the game with a real mentality, real effort first team. I think the ball is going to be critical Saturday. Uh, I think they've created 15 turnovers on defense. And I think if you just watch the Tech game, if you want to talk about the deciding factor in the game was their ability to create five turnovers uh, and what it meant in that game. Uh, definitely got a veteran quarterback in, in Slovis. Uh, got a multitude of tight ends that they like to use. So, you know, we got a work cut out for us. But um, uh, looking forward to the opportunity to, to get back to DKR uh, and play in front of our fans in, in a heck of a ball game. All right, there's the early thought from Sark, and it's the first home game in a month. 2.30 is the kick on Saturday. Uh, and, Mike, we'll obviously talk more about BYU, but do you have any, having seen Tech play them last week, they've already played a couple of teams here from the state of Texas that you cover. Um, you know, five and two, weird to see them look so good last week against uh, Texas Tech. They only had 125 passing yards in that game, but forced those five turnovers. They looked terrible against TCU the week before in Fort Worth, so not sure what you're getting in this BYU group. They've played back-to-back -back teams that are starting their quarterback for the first time. You know, Josh Hoover at TCU, that was his first ever career start. Jake Strong, a true freshman, uh, started for Texas Tech. Tech's on their third-string quarterback, by the way. That's how things are going for Joey McGuire there in Lubbock. And so uh, BYU's kind of been in a bunch of close games. You know, they're they're a mature bunch. They don't make a lot of mistakes, as Sark pointed out. Uh, they turn people over. Uh, not a lot of penalties, not a lot of turnovers, not a lot of explosiveness either, but they're going to be really good in the trenches. Um, they beat Arkansas by one possession. Uh, you know, they beat uh, Cincy by one possession. So they're not blowing teams out. Uh, that game against TCU just kind of feels like an admiration. That was a really weird one. Yeah, that's when they, you know, K-State, or excuse me, TCU sprung Josh Hoover on them. They hadn't seen him. And uh, they got behind early. And, you know, a team like that doesn't want to fall behind early. They want to keep it a low-scoring game. They also lost to Kansas early in the year. Those are their two losses on the road. But they do own the win at Arkansas that Mike alluded to. But Arkansas has proven to not be a very good team either. Uh, they lost again this past weekend. So uh, we'll see. We'll learn more. Again, we'll have another episode of the Eyes on Texas. It might be Jeff Trailer's music in, in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, pretty soon. <laughs> oh, wow. Breaking news. You think, yeah, Arkansas. No, I, that's not breaking any news. I just, you know, uh, yeah. they're going to be looking yeah. for a new coach soon because they're about to be 0-8. Yeah. Uh, and Sam Pittman was the toast of the SEC just a couple of years ago uh, for what he did early. But it's not sustaining right now in Razorland. Razorback land. All right, that's going to wrap up our, our third quarter. What's next? Was that conversation? Uh, it's brought to you by our friend Carlos Carrion, good friend of ours, one of our, he was actually our first partner uh, who agreed and wanted to come on and be a part of the Eyes on Texas multicast to support us. And we appreciate him. Hopefully you'll support him. Let's tell you a little bit about Carlos Carrion, the Texas mortgage guy. With Carlos Carrion, he is the Texas mortgage guy. Why not do a new refi for your home or a new mortgage for your home? Change your life. It's always better to work with an expert in the field who also is a diehard Longhorn fan like you. Lifelong Austinite knows this market like the back of his hand. Just makes sense to work with someone who you're going to trust. You just heard Sark talking about that. So much better to work with like-minded people. Know their business, know the lay of the land. He's been uh, going on 10 years in the uh, industry now. Uh, he's not there to just help you provide a quote when kind of navigate these complicated waters of refinances and uh, mortgages. He's your guide to help solve problems, strategize, like you just heard Sark talking about, one of the most important financial decisions of your life. He's a great communicator, fast response times, not going to leave you out there waiting for days and days and days at a time. He'll be right back to you. He is Carlos Carrion. That's C A R R E O N. Carlos Carrion, the TexasMortgageGuy.com. That's the TexasMortgageGuy.com. Get after him uh, this fall. As it cools off, might be the time to start looking. Put your house on the market. Maybe look for that next house. Carlos is your man. All right, fourth quarter, Mike. It's always the final four. The four big questions around the Big 12 and around college football. 
Uh, I'll throw one at you, and I want to play a, a piece of Sark audio that will start this conversation because the big story broke last week uh, that uh, Michigan, under investigation by the NCAA for sign stealing, apparently they had a, uh, a staffer who was going to games, or at least allegedly, and watching and recording and stealing signs to then be used as future when they play future opponents uh, from the sidelines. It really feels like it started at Rutgers when Greg Schiano had some choice words about Michigan and what was going on with that. Um, but let's hear Steve Sarkeesian. He was asked today, right at the very end of his Monday press conference, is, is sign stealing a thing that you have to prepare for and other teams should be preparing for? Uh, or is it an isolated situation with the Michigan Wolverines? Yeah, signal stealing is uh, is real. Um, it is, is a definite factor in college football. Um, I think some teams rely on it uh, much more than others, um, and so you, you do have to devise it. That's why we got boards and signalers and, and different colored shirts on the sidelines and every which way of, of how we try to get the play to our players um, to be fair to them. I mean, nobody wants to run a play when they know what, what play's coming. It's like going to bat and trying to throw your best pitch and the batter knows what's coming. He's got a better chance of hitting it. So we try to, we try to hide it as best we can um, to, uh, to give our players the best chance to be successful. All right, Mike, thoughts? Hey, there's a story out today that, uh, according to the Associated Press, that the Michigan State Michigan staffer, someone named Connor Stallions, Connor Stallions, Mike, sounds like he should be an adult film star or something. Uh, it says here that he purchased, purchased tickets to 11 different Big Ten games. So they've got his record of buying tickets to games to be there and allegedly steal signs. And sounds like scouting to me, but what's your take on this whole thing? How big of a deal is this for Michigan? One of my favorite shows ever is The Wire and the GA kind of assistant guy getting in trouble for this is like when low level drug dealers get in trouble for selling bud like on the side of the street where like the the main capo guy gets away with everything because he never touched the drugs in the first place. Like this guy isn't going there without Jim Harbaugh directing him to. Uh, so I think that is funny. The second part is. Uh, this is just dumb NCAA stuff anyway, because if you just put a microphone in guys' helmets, you wouldn't have to do all these weird signs from the sideline. It's 2023. We could probably figure out how to afford that uh, with the billions of dollars we're going to get from the expanded playoff situation going on. Uh, I think that's silly as well. And then also, I don't know if anybody ever notices, like, you know how coaches and teams, they like cover up their their signs on the sidelines with those like big sheets and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and everybody always thinks it's to like stop the other sideline from seeing it. Really, it's to stop the All-22 camera from seeing it. So they don't have to change it week to week to week every single time an opponent sees all that kind of stuff. So sign stealing, as Sark said, is a huge part of college football because they're not allowed to put microphone and quarterback's helmets like in the NFL to where they still have to do hand signs from the sideline like it's 1983. Yeah, that should change immediately, by the way. And, and question yeah. number one, I'm not sure why that's not already. It, it certainly has changed things. Major League Baseball, right, where the Astros and Rangers are playing, and the Astros famous for their sign stealing. Um, you know, they, they've got the electronic technology now to be able to catcher to pitcher, and they don't have to do signs anymore. It's pretty simple. We have the technology. Why not fix it? Uh, but it is a real thing, and I do agree. It'll be a slap on the wrist for Michigan because that's my second question for you, Mike. Uh, Michigan smashes Michigan State this week. Georgia's without Brock Bowers. Uh, Ohio State, you know, they beat Penn State in a, in a rock fight. But it just feels to me that it's Michigan and everybody else in the Big Ten right now. They might be the best team in the country, which is why this story is taking national headlines. This is, this might be Michigan, the Jim Harbaugh's best football team. 
Yeah, they're, that's who I picked before the season started to be to be the champion. Saw them in the Fiesta Bowl against TCU. Should not have lost that football game. And so I think that that is the deal with Michigan, right? Like their season doesn't start until they play Penn State and then Ohio, and then Ohio State. I mean, they only really have two hard games on their schedule, and then we all assume we're going to see them in, in the playoff, and they're going to have to prove that they can win the win, win the big one. But that offensive line is incredible. The defense is really good. I think the quarterback solid. The running game's good. That's a that's a really really good football team for sure. Yeah, and then the big question will come if they were to win it and play for it and all the things going on. Jim Harbaugh, of course, suspended to start this year. Now this deal, you know, he'll be coveted to come back to the NFL, Mike. I mean, he's been coveted before. He's built one heck of a team there. And um, a lot of teams around the NFL looking for coaches. Uh, what, what's your one of your big four, final four questions, Mike, around the Big 12 that you cover, the te- schools in Texas or around college football? I think for me, it's, is is Kansas State legitimately a contender to Oklahoma and Texas? I think I think we both, and and I think most people in the country, kind of just made this thing a two team race. You know, Kansas State lost to Missouri. Uh, they didn't look as good as they were last year. Deuce Vaughn wasn't replaced. They haven't had that kind of just big play potential offensively. The defense has been solid, but you we should have all known. It's like Nick Saban in Alabama. And I'm not trying to put Chris Kleiman into like goats territory here, but there's some teams that are uh, Kyle Whittingham at at Utah is one of these guys, right? Where it's like, you cannot see Utah play really good early in the season. You cannot see Alabama play really good early in the season, but you should never write them off because the coaching is going to win out over, over the time, right? You give them five, six, seven, eight weeks in the season. They're going to figure that stuff out. I think Chris Kleiman is one of those coaches, Kansas state playing excellent football, just absolutely took to the woodshed a TCU team. That's not awful, not great, but definitely not awful. I feel like Kansas State is absolutely there. We all knew before the season started that they were going to be maybe the biggest challenger to, to Oklahoma and Texas. And it looks like going into week nine, they absolutely are. Uh, I would I'm curious that that game in two weeks in Austin is going to be must see TV. No doubt about that. Uh it's two weeks from now. BYU this weekend and then K-State, Texas the following. And there's a young guy named Avery Johnson, not the former Spurs point guard, who has really emerged. He was a big four-star quarterback recruit for them out of the state of Kansas. He was Mr. Kansas football. And he can really run. He had 16 carries last week out of the quarterback run game uh, for 70-plus yards and almost five yards to carry last week. Uh, And that's revved up uh, to Sean Ward, uh, the the starting running back, uh, the Florida State transfer. So now they're running the ball. Will Howard, you know, kind of stepped up with three touchdown passes in their win over TCU. And as you said, they dismantled the Horned Frogs. And they don't play Oklahoma. So that that game in two weeks against Texas, they win that football game. They have the tiebreaker. They don't play Oklahoma. Uh, it could decide who plays the Sooners in the Big 12 championship game in a couple weeks in Austin. It's well said. Yeah, we've talked about Oklahoma drawing that pretty easy schedule when the season began uh, and missing K-State. I mean, that's, that K-State team has given Oklahoma fits, much like Texas, uh, because with, whether it's Bill Snyder or Chris Kleiman, they've just been a really well-coached football team and are getting better. Uh, for sure. That's a great point in our final four. One other note I'll ask you, Mike, uh, the Lincoln Riley situation at USC, there's talk about he and Caleb Williams package deal with the NFL. That's all speculation at this point, but they just lost another game. It's back-to-back losses. They're going to play Oregon this year. They're going to play Washington this year. You know, Lincoln Riley, what a mess. I mean, that team at USC should be able to, to be better than what they're showing the last couple of weeks, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It is amazing that Lincoln Riley has the same Achilles heel every single year. Like it's the same thing, you know, like he's a smart guy. Clearly he has to know it too. He has to be able to see it. I don't know how Alex Grinch is still the defensive coordinator at USC. I'm not really sure how he got hired to be that in the, in the first place. What I find interesting about the USC deal is it's not going to get better for him. Like the Trojans are about to enter the conference where everybody is Utah. 
right? Like the whole conference is, is Utah and how they play and what they like to do in the trenches, what they do offensively, what they do def- defensively. USC is not built to compete with those type of teams. And until they get bigger defensively and get more aggressive and more physical defensively, they're going to lose to Michigan. They're going to lose to Ohio State. They're going to get beat up by Iowa and all those teams in the Big Ten. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Lincoln Riley's an NFL coach sooner rather than later. Yeah, you're right about that. And in the NFL, we know it didn't work for, for Cliff Kingsbury, but you know, you can hire a great defensive coordinator in the NFL. You can hire uh, experienced assistants. And if you get the quarterback right, and you know, kind of like they think Sean McVay, right? If you can really be an offensive genius and put good defensive coaches around you. Uh, but I still I still hear from a lot of people that were at Oklahoma and now watching him at USC that he's, he just doesn't run physical enough practices in practice, right? They don't rep yeah. hitting enough, and it shows up on Saturdays. And that'll show up on Sundays, too. You can't be a soft football team. You just can't. And uh, but, you know, you can learn from other NFL coaches when you get there. Uh, Lincoln has just brought a lot of his guys that know what he likes to do from Oklahoma with him. But I think you're right about that. That's why I would say with with Jim Harbaugh, Lincoln Riley, I think these are guys are going to be names that the NFL is going to be looking at here, especially with the attachment to, to Caleb Williams, potentially. There's also the idea, Mike, that uh, Caleb Williams, uh, this would be ridiculous, in my opinion. But I understand why the conversation is being had. Now that they have two losses, he's probably not going to win the Heisman again. They're not going to play in the final four that Caleb Williams should consider shutting it down uh, to be ready and be healthy for the National Football League draft. I disagree with that. I know knowing you, the traditionalist you are, that makes your stomach turn. But the fact that it's being talked about um, is something that we have to address. Yeah, I I guess the only thing I would say, like before NIL, I would be more likely to be like, yeah, I mean, I guess sit out, save yourself. You're going to make millions of dollars. You're you're playing for free at USC while they're making millions of dollars off of your back. You don't owe these guys anything. If you're ready to go be a pro, go be a pro. If somebody came up with an awesome invention four months before they were graduating from college and they got offered $2 billion by Dell to, to go do it, they would leave college too, right? So I guess I wouldn't see a big deal about it before NIL. But now, once you're kind of an employee and you're getting paid, and Caleb Williams is getting paid a lot, he's not getting paid $25,000, he's getting paid a lot. I think you owe it a little bit more to, to the people that gave you money, to the uh, school that that allowed you to get that money, to the coach, coach that recruited you to get that money. And so I think you kind of run into contract stuff. And this is kind of a new, a new frontier in college football. Uh, if he got paid a couple million dollars and people gave him that money, I mean, does he owe them 13 games or 12 games of the regular season? I'd imagine that he does. And so that that's another thing too. I wonder, I, we don't get to see this stuff, but I wonder what those contracts are. And if people have started to put in, you're not allowed to opt out or that becomes void, or you save a lot of that money until after the season or however it works. I think that's just a new layer to NIL and to, to player empowerment and what college football is becoming. Well said as usual, Mike Craven, finger on the pulse, hundred percent agree with you. All right, that's going to do it. That's our fourth quarter. It's brought to you by our great friend, Dr. Greg Eckert. You can see it on our Twitch here, our Zoom. I got the uh, the beautiful new Restored Smile. Uh, let's tell you a little bit more about Dr. Greg Eckert, my dentist. He could be yours if you're local here in the Austin area. 27 years, Dr. Greg Eckert. Uh, Dr. Eckert can give you the new smile just in one day. Permanently secure dental implants or a restoration over a thousand cases. Give him a call. Just a consultation. He's here here in Austin, right off far west, north central. He's been doing it 27 years 
It's amazing. He's in his 50s, but he looks like he's in his 20s because he rides his bike everywhere. He's unbelievable, but one of the best people you ever meet. He's Dr. Greg Eckert. Give him a call for a consultation. He's got a wonderful team there as well. Uh, you make the informed decisions you need about your dental health care needs with Dr. Eckert at 345-3166, 345-3166. Dr. Greg Eckert with a U, U-E-C-K-E-R-T. That transitions to our fourth quarter, which is brought to you by Dr. Greg Eckert and his Brain Vault technology, which got some great news from people at Texas State University just this past And that's going to be a wrap on another edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast. It's a product, and we are a product of the Republic of Football and the Dave Campbell's Football Texas Podcast Network. 13 podcasts full there, but ours is there and prominent. We're powered by Grande Equipment. Uh, We appreciate our digital producer. You heard him throughout the show, Nolan Hogan. Our executive producer and editor is uh, Griffin Hogan. Thanks for their great work again. Mike Craven, of course. And our founding partners, Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy. Find him at thetexasmortgageguy.com. Also, our friends from Hay City Store in Driftwood, Texas, uh, for the mouthwatering food and the scratch menu there. Get out there and see them. One Source Gas of Central Texas is Richard Strieber and his team, Dr. Greg Eckert, my dentist, and that Brain Vault technology, bringing it strong. Appreciate everybody. Mike, where are you headed uh, this week? We'll talk to you again on Thursday to preview the BYU game in full, but what's your uh, schedule and agenda this week for Dave Campbell's? JFK once asked why Texas plays Rice. A lot of people are going to ask why I am going to Rice, but that is where I will be on Saturday to watch them play Tulane. I uh, got to see a football stadium or a football game in every stadium this week. Week nine uh, fell to the Rice House. All right, and Tulane's a pretty good team. Tulane, very good team. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rice is four week, and Mike. three. Rice is four and three. This is two winning football. This is a big game in the American yeah, Athletic is. Conference. It is. Uh, they just beat up on Tulsa last week. So, uh, Mike, uh, we'll talk again Thursday, man. Appreciate you. Dent Nolan, Griff, thanks very much. Hope you enjoy another edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast presented by Grande Equipment.